We are working our way through a series called Love God, Love Others, and we're concentrating on the way that Jesus did that. You know, Jesus was the one who told us that um, that's our purpose, to love God, love others. We started this series uh, by discussing the fact that when we discover the reality of who God is, along with the reality of who we are, then we discover our purpose, and that purpose is loving God and loving others. And we try to do that the way that Jesus did that. And this look up, lean in, and reach out, that was the way Jesus lived his life. He had his eyes constantly fixed on his heavenly Father, looking up for guidance and for direction and for his identity and for his sustenance. He leaned in to his followers for support and encouragement and challenge, and he reached out to those who were poor in spirit and poor in resources. And I say those things almost the exact same way every time I say them in front of all of us for a reason, because that's who we are and that's what we're about, and I want us to be really familiar and comfortable with those words. Because when you become really comfortable and familiar with words, you start to live them and you start to act like them and you, they become who you are. And a while ago, we shared a vision for Crossroads that we wanna, we wanna see our impact double, that we wanna reach twice as many people. And this, this is how we believe that that's gonna happen. When a critical mass of people who call themselves Crossroads regular attenders get to a point where they have their eyes fixed on Jesus and they're leaning into their brothers and sisters and they're reaching out to those around him, doubling our impact is going to be nothing. That's going to be nothing compared to what's going to happen. But this, looking up, leaning in and reaching out, has to happen first. It has to happen in each of us as individuals and then in us as, um, as a community. And what is kind of implied in this idea of look up, lean in, reach out is a directionality. Um, but I want to explicitly state it, right? The, it starts with look up. Everything we do here and everything that we do as individuals should start with Jesus, right? When we keep our eyes fixed on him, when he is in the proper seat of worship, which we talked about as responding to his greatness and glory in everything that we do, when he's there at the center of our lives, then things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and joy and identity and sustenance and fulfillment and satisfaction and wisdom, those things pour through us and spill out all over other people. It's God in us that allows us to love others. There are days when it's really easy to love other people. And there are days when it's not so easy to love other people, right? And that goes up and down, even within the same day, even the same person. Sometimes I want the same person is easy to love, sometimes they're not. But with Jesus at the center of our lives, with our eyes fixed on him, it doesn't matter how, how we feel. It's Jesus' love initiating that in us and, and through us. Starts with Jesus, flows through us and then we get strengthened and it gets multiplied by our brothers and sisters in Jesus as we lean as we lean into each other right we lean in for support when things aren't going well we lean into each other for encouragement when things are going well we want to keep going we lean in for things are challenged when we need somebody to kick us in the butt and say you can be doing better or you should be doing different 
And then from there, we head out into the world and we make an impact on the world for Jesus by reaching out to those who are poor in spirit and poor in resources. <clears throat> I recently learned a new definition of, um, of the word love. And this is from a very smart guy by the name of John Piper. He's a pastor and he writes books and runs universities. Um, it says, love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. When we are just so pumped up about God, about who he is and about the things that he's done in our lives and for us and through us, we will not be able to help but be able to lean into each other and to reach out to those around us. It, all, it starts with God and it flows through us and it goes out into the world. So we're going we're gonna to concentrate this morning on this idea of leaning in, remembering that our original premise is that we got to discover the reality of who God is, starter, sustainer of everything, who we are. Part of who we are as individuals, as a group, we were created to need other people. We were created specifically to need other people who are following Jesus. Other people following Jesus were created to need us. Right? The walk of faith with Jesus Christ is not a Lone Ranger, solo, one at a time kind of thing. It was meant to be done in community. Sometimes the word community is, is used and throw, thrown around. We have been given the gift of community. And true community is discovered in the middle both of the messes of life and the mission of Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we're going to see mess, and we're going to see mission, and we're going to see people come together to do more than they could on their own and to be bound together by those two things. So, like I said, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Pretty famous story. Even if you don't have a church background, you've heard Jesus fed all these people, a couple fish, a couple loaves of bread. What I always encourage us to do is to look at the context. The chapter immediately before and the paragraph immediately before the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is super important to our understanding of what we can learn about leaning in um, from, from the story. So, I just kind of I grabbed two verses from, from chapter 13. So Jesus traveled. Through his three years of public ministry, he traveled. And he would kind of come in and out of his hometown. His hometown was Nazareth. And he showed up there, and they, they questioned him. They're like, wait a minute. We know this guy. This is, this is Jesus. This, he's, this is the same punk kid that was running around, learning how to be a craftsman at his dad. Like, this is, who, who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he can come in? And talk to, where did he get this authority? Right, so Jesus says, and they took, it, the verse says, they took offense at him, and Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and his own home. They took offense at him. They were upset at the things that he was saying and doing. That's the end of chapter 13. You go into chapter 14, and it's the story of the execution of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded because he told the king that it wasn't a good idea for the king to sleep with his brother's wife. So nobody liked that. So John was thrown in prison, and eventually he was beheaded. That's what immediately leads up to where we're at in these verses. I'm going to read them through once, and then we'll, we'll break them down and look at, the, look at the pieces. When Jesus heard what had happened, in reference to John being executed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they, they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken baskets, fulls, basketfuls, wow, sorry, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. All right, so breaking this down into pieces. When we think about the idea of leaning in, something that's really important is this idea of modeling. There are those of us who have been walking, for, walking with Jesus for longer than others of us. Sometimes it's chronological just because we've been around longer. Sometimes we came to faith earlier. It's a, ma it's a matter of spiritual maturity. And it's, it's important for us, for those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, to model what it means to walk with Jesus. We see Jesus responding to difficult things. This is a really kind of, I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus shared ex every experience that we experience. So Jesus knew the emotion of like, he went home and they didn't want him there. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't like what he had to say. They didn't want him there. And then John the Baptist, his cousin, the man who baptized him, the only other person who could kind of relate to what Jesus was trying to do was executed. So all that emotion of dealing with the loss, dealing with his, his hometown basically turning their back on him, so he withdraws. He withdraws to be with God, and he withdraws to be with his, with his closest friends. That's biblically a good way to handle a hardship. You go to Jesus, and you go to your brothers and sisters. When he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The mess, Jesus' loss, the, the betrayal, the denial, the mess was not, the mission was not subverted by the mess. Jesus, there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about what Jesus would do, and he read it about himself one day in, in, the, in the synagogue. He said, I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to feed the hungry. He didn't stop because things got hard. And a lot of times that's, I want to use the word of excuse because it's valid, right? Things get hard, and we get, we get caught up in the, in the mess. But sometimes focusing on the mission is what can break us out of feeling trapped by the, by the mess. Jesus invited the disciples, he invited his brothers and sisters, in to the mission with him. He said, we don't have to send them away. You guys do it. And looking at each other, what, what, how, how are we going to... We got a couple, couple fish, a couple loaves of bread. She's like, okay, bring it to me. Jesus blesses it, gives it back to them, and then they start handing it out. It would have been crazy to be in their shoes, right? They're like passing out this bread and this fish. 
like thinking you'd get through like two rows of people and they'd be out and then everybody would get really angry. Like, how come they got food and I didn't? And they just keep passing out this bread and this fish. They're like looking at each other. Okay. They keep going. They get like halfway through. They start laughing because it's just ridiculous how far these, these five and two are going. And they get to the end and everybody is satisfied. When we, when we stop and remember that what Jesus calls us to is always for his glory and for our good, and we follow through on it, right? Jesus provided. He took care of that. The disciples were like, we, we, we don't have anything. Jesus will provide a way. He will provide a way. Um, and it's not just a, a minimal way. He, he provided over, over, everybody was satisfied, and they had, and they had leftovers. They had leftovers. And I, um, so before I go to sleep at night, I'll read a, a devotional, just because I, like, I want to try to have scripture in my, in my brain before I, before I close my eyes. And Friday night, I did not go looking for this. It was just the next day. It was just the next day in the devotional. It was um, about the leftovers. And the point of the, the devotional was why, why were there leftovers? There were 12 baskets full of leftovers. There were 12 disciples. The disciples went on their way from there. The leftovers were for the disciples to make sure that they were taken care of. They stepped up. They stepped into the mission. They stepped into the mess. They did what Jesus asked them to do, and Jesus took care of them. There's another story in the feeding of the 4,000 where there were seven basketfuls of leftovers. Biblically, the number seven is the perfect number. It's like completion. It's full. There were there was the full number of leftovers. When we, are, when we put Jesus first, he will take care of, of the other things. As hard as that might be, as hard as the circumstances that surround you might feel, it's the truth of scripture, it's the truth of my experience, it's the truth of, of what I've experienced with, with you guys. And they're the leftovers. All right. So those are kind of some specific observations. And I'm, I'm not going to talk as long today as I usually do because I'm going to ask my friend Anna to come up here in a few minutes. And she's going to share some of her story. But I, I wanted to just point out a, a, couple, a couple of things about this, this story. First thing, God's direction, God's provision, our obedience. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the mission, with our eyes fixed on God, he will tell us which way to go. With our eyes fixed on him, he will provide for us in that. Now, where our brothers and sisters come in, they provide interpretation, right? I feel like God is calling me to do something, telling me to do something. I share it with a few close friends, a few trusted people who I know have been walking with Jesus for a while, care about Jesus, care about me. They give me some counsel. Maybe they point me to a verse. Maybe they commit to praying for me. God's direction from God to us leaning in, right? God's provision. Often, very often, God's provision will come through our brothers and sisters in Jesus. 
If we let it be known that we have a need, our brothers and sisters come to meet that need. Starts with Jesus, to us, to each other, and then we get ready to go out into the world. We have to respond to that, though. It's, a, it's our, our obedience. This idea of, of mess and, and mission, we all, every one of us, have mess. Gail and I refer to it, everybody's got stuff. Right? We all have things going on in our life. And most likely, at any given point in time in your life, you have something going on that could be considered a mess or hard or difficult. So I say this as lovingly as I can, that the mess is not, it can't be an excuse. It can't keep us from doing what Jesus calls us to do because there's always going to be a mess. And when we are willing to step into the mess of others, when we are willing to invite others into our mess, man, the relationships that are formed in that, the bonds that are created, my closest friends have walked with me through the hardest things. And they weren't necessarily my closest friends before those things started. They've become my closest friends because they've walked through those things with me. The people that I'm closest to are the ones that I have lost sleep with, run in mission trips and youth trips, and the people that I'm closest with are the ones that are here at seven o'clock every Sunday morning unloading trucks. The people who share in the mission and share in the mess, there's something that happens with, I tried to find like a cool geological analogy, but I just couldn't, like heat and pressure, it just like when the world pushes in on us, it causes us to cling on to each other. When we do that, What it does in us and for us and through us is, is just God-ordained blessing. If we are brave enough to step into the mess, if we are brave enough to invite others into the mess, it's amazing what, what can happen. So here's the, here's the thing. Um, when you have a shared experience, whether it be uh, surviving a mess or completing a mission, there's a, like a bond that takes place. And uh, there's, you know, maybe inside jokes that can come out of it, or um, just knowing looks and knowing glances that can, that can come out of it, which is great and fine. But the idea of leaning in with a Christian community is it should be ever-expanding, right? It should never feel like a closed door club. It should never feel exclusive. I was in a fraternity in college and it like it intentionally gave off an exclusive feel and the people who were a part of it liked that. When I became a brother my freshman year, I got a t-shirt on the back it said you don't like us and we don't care. That that is the opposite of what <laughs> this should be. The community of Christ should be Ever expanding. The way we treat each other should be one of the biggest magnets to people who don't know Jesus. The way we love each other, the way we care for each other, the way we come through for each other, the way we work side by side to do Jesus' work should be the biggest magnet that we, we have to draw people to Jesus. Okay, so 
mission here at Crossroads, right? Jesus invited the disciples into what he was doing. He's like, I'm going to do something cool. I want you guys to be a part of it. We're going to feed these people. Each and every one of you, whether you are aware of it or not, are invited into the mission of Jesus here at Crossroads. And that takes, that takes different forms. Sometimes it might be just a one-on-one invitation to coffee or a walk in the woods or a workout or join us for dinner. That's what the invitation might look like. It might look more structured, like an invitation to be part of a community group or to be part of a, to be part of a service team. Sometimes we come together as a whole community and do things like super serve. That's fulfillment of, of the mission. That's an invitation. If you are here this morning and you feel, you're feeling disconnected, I would encourage you to take advantage. We have groups that are forming right now. We're, we're putting teams together for super serve right now. We have volunteer opportunities. If you have an area of giftedness, I'm pretty sure we have a serving opportunity for you to use that giftedness. And when you do that, you lean in, you feel the support and the encouragement and the challenge of, of others. Last two things. By speaking up and letting people know that, yeah, I am in the middle of a mess and I need some help. That takes courage, right? That takes vulnerability. It takes just being willing to be real. But that's how leaning in happens. We got to be willing to speak up. We also got to be willing to speak up if we have help to offer. If, if we have financial resources, if we have power tools, if we have a strong back and can move somebody in and out of an apartment or a house, whatever it is, it's on us to let it be known that we are happy and, and willing to help. And um, Anna, I'm going to ask you to come on up here now. And the last thing I would say about speaking up is to be willing to share your story. And sometimes our stories are these amazing, just, you know, God just does amazing things. Sometimes they're, they're simple things. They're just the, every, the everyday things. Oh, you want to grab yourself the, the microphone? Um, sometimes they're just, they're just little things. Back in the fall, we were teaching through the series on James, and I did a morning on the, um, what I call the invisible and the vulnerable. The Bible referred to widows and orphans. And I kind of drew a comparison today to those folks who struggle with um, mental illness and, uh, emotional, and emotional struggles. And uh, so we talked through that and talked about some of the ways that we could and should respond as followers of Jesus. And the next week... Um, not that Sunday, but the next Sunday, Anna, Anna came up to me and asked if I had a minute, and she said, I've, you know, after you spoke last week, I was feeling like I should share my story with you because I feel like there's somebody else in the community who could, but she's like, I want you to, I want you to make that decision. Um, so she shared it with me, and, and we got together with Carrie Stratton, and she shared her story, and I, I just, we wanted to create space for Anna to be able to to tell her story, what God has done in and through her um, as part of this idea of leaning in, right? Anna's going to be real, and she's going to be vulnerable, and there are parts of this story um, that, are, that are hard. So I just I want you guys to 
know that going in. Um, and I also want you to appreciate what it is that, that Anna is doing by coming up here and sharing her story. So um, you just you want to give us a little introduction to, to who you are? My name is Anna. Um, I come from a large family. I have 12 brothers and sisters. I have four children of my own and two grandchildren. Uh, my daughter, Rebecca, who normally comes, hasn't been able to because of her job. Uh, but my daughter, Rachel, is here. I also um, work at... Um, Advanced Endodontics, all we do is root canals. My boss actually, who told me about this church, is actually here as well. And then my sister Rose is here as well. Um, I, let's see, <laughs> sorry. Um, I actually went through a really tough time with depression. Um, my husband at the time had shared something with me that he had been doing that caused um, such extreme hurt and pain. Um, it was like a, a mental torment. That's what it got to the point of. And um, I, at that time, I didn't want to eat. I was probably 30 pounds less than what I am right now. And I began taking sleeping pills just so that I could go to sleep and not be tormented in my mind. I didn't want to think. I didn't, I didn't want to be awake. And there were certain times where I had said, okay, on such and such a day, I'm just going to take my life. I had things planned. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go out of state. I'm going to, you know, take a bunch of pills. That way, nobody can find me. It'll be too late. And God would intervene. And another time, same thing. And God, again, would intervene and give me hope. And one time, um, I'd gone to church. Uh, we had three church services. And my sister... And one of my sisters and her husband was one pastor at the church. And um, my sister-in-law was also at the church, too. And she said, oh, I've been praying, and God uh, spoke to me. i got to share something with you. And I said to myself, well, I don't have hope, but maybe God's going to give me hope. So I said, okay. And so she shared with me and said, you know, God was showing me that your problem is that instead of just asking for forgiveness, what you do is you buy things for people, and you make things for people. And I knew she was referring to... Um, the Sunday before, uh, I had taught Sunday school as well there, I had made cookies and brownies for the kids as a parting gift for me because within a few days I was going to take my life. And I remember going home and I fell asleep crying and I, I woke up the next morning and I said, you know, God, if she's right, I'm willing to admit that, I'll admit that, but, you know, I want to find out whether or not she's right. I know that God used this. Um, and so... I called my sister and her husband, the pastor of the church, and I said, can I go over your house later? You know, so-and-so came to me and said such a thing. She's like, yeah, sure. So while I was home, uh, the Bible verse in Isaiah 42.3 came to me, and it says, a bruised reed shall he not break, nor smoking flax shall he quench. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I put it in the back of my mind. And then later on, the same day, it came to me the story of the prodigal son, and God showed me when the prodigal son came home, the father didn't say what your problem was, was that you were full of lust, you were full of greed, you were lazy, he didn't do any of that, you know? And I said to myself, I don't want to just justify myself with the prodigal son, so I'll still go. And so I went um, to my sister's house, and I shared with them what my sister-in-law said, and spoke to them a few things, and my sister says, you know, I don't know what's at in the Bible, but there's a verse that says, a bruised reed shall he not break, nor smoking flax shall he quench. And I knew that was God. And then my brother-in-law says, in the story of the prodigal son, and I just started to cry, and I told him, look, I was going to take my life, you know? And so, you know, they prayed for me, they encouraged me, and that gave me so much hope. 
um, but the enemy didn't give up. He was, he was determined to destroy my life. And so during this time, I was going through my divorce. And my, I forgot to mention, my mother was dying of cancer. My father also had Alzheimer's, was put into a nursing home as well. And uh, I'd gone to court, and I didn't have money. I couldn't afford an attorney, so I was doing this on my own. And the uh, judge said that he didn't have to, my ex-husband didn't have to pay me alimony. And unfortunately, the devil used that and sold me a lie that God, even God, had abandoned me. And I had four beautiful children, and I loved them to death. And I said, my love for God is so much higher than my love for my children or my family. And if I don't have God, I have nothing. And I was just totally devastated. I bought that lie. And I remember going home that night. I took 30 sleeping pills. I was doing this throughout, taking up to 30 sleeping pills at times just not to think. And I fell asleep. When I woke up in the morning, um, I said, you know, I just want to rest a little bit more. I'm going to take 10 more sleeping pills. And then I will get up and cook my kids and clean. And uh, I was sleeping on the couch, that, that was my bed, and I remember having my hand here. And when I took the 10 sleeping pills, I could feel my heart going slower and I didn't realize that I was dying. And in that moment, I was like, I don't want to die. I want to live. And there was such a fear in me of dying. I began to pray and I started rebuking the spirit of death and crying out to God. And my kids surrounded me. They're like, Mom, what's wrong? And I, I couldn't tell them what was going on. I couldn't. And I said, just pray, just pray. And my daughter, Rebecca, she ran and got my Bible because during this time of depression, um, I had written certain Bible verses in the back, God healing the brokenhearted, you know, things like that. And she started reading those verses. And my older son went and got my brother-in-law. Um, and he came to my house. And we prayed for about three to four hours. And I knew the spirit of death had left. And I said, I will never, ever, ever do this again. And the enemy still tried to attack me with depression, things like other things that went on. And what set me free is I decided every day I'm going to thank God for something. Because there's always something to be grateful for. And ever since I've done it, and it's been a couple years already that I've been doing that, faithfully thanking him for that, if it's for, for things, okay, that oppression, depression hasn't come. Situations come, but I don't give in to it anymore because I know who my God is. And I know that he is faithful. And basically what I've shared with you is not really about me, but it's about his faithfulness. We serve a faithful God, and he never, ever will abandon and leave us. He never will. Thank you. Let's give Anna a, a round of applause. <clears throat> yeah, I'll take that. So God will allow things to go on in our lives. Um, and sometimes we ask why and we question and we don't, and we don't understand. Um, fortunately, he puts people in our path um, to help us, to give us Bible verses, to pray for us, to be there with us, to hold our hands, to pray there with us to more, some more to read scripture to us. And I said, it's about, it's about God and what he can do and what he wants to do. And then flowing through us to each other. 
I, I asked Anna before if it was all right. If, so if her story um, resonated with you or um, you, just, you found yourself in a similar spot, uh, she, she said she would be happy to you know, have you guys talk to her or address her afterwards or whatever. So um, I'm just grateful for, for her vulnerability and her, her willingness to, um, to share her story because that's, like I said, um, the speaking up part, saying, yeah, I need help. Yeah, I got help to give, or here's my here's my story. Um, and one of the things that I hope comes from this, um, and and Anna kind of stepping forward and being willing to share her story, is that it might inspire a few others of you who have stories. I know you have stories. Um, I know that God has done things in and through you. If you go to crossroadct.info and you hit the little search button and just type story, the first thing that's going to come up is a card called My Story. And it, it will give you an opportunity just to type out what God has put, even if it's just something like, something seemingly mundane or trivial that God did in, in you or through you or for you during the week, let us know. If it's something life-changing, let us know. And there's also a little box in there if you want to be, you know, if you would consider sharing that with the community, you can just check that little box and do your part to speak up and lean in to your brothers and sisters that way. Just like we were created to worship, Marvin, you guys, come, come on back up. Just like we were uh, created to worship, we were created to lean into each other. Community, our brothers and sisters in Christ is a gift. And that gift is most often discovered in the messes of life and in the midst of the mission of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you for your example. Thank you that you model for us um, what it means to, to live this life, that you walk this earth among us and as one of us. Uh, thank you that you have given us the gift of community, that we don't have to do this alone, that we can, um, we can ask others for help, we can offer help, we can be help. Thank you that it's you in us that, that love that you are, that exists in us, that spills out onto others, that meets others' needs. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would just be the kind of place where that would happen day in and day out. And our friends and our family who don't know you would be like, man, I want, I want so badly to be a part of that. Tell me what that's about. Lord Jesus, do that in, in and through us as we as we interact with each other and as we head out into the world, Jesus, that you would, you would use us in that way to bring you glory and for our good. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen.